We have a saying around our house. Good things happen when you obey. Bad things happen when you disobey. Now, we say it that way instead of do something good and something good will happen to you. Because the truth of the matter is, good things happen when you obey, but sometimes there's twists and turns and there's ups and downs, there's highs, there's lows. It doesn't always happen exactly the way we think it might happen. Sometimes those good things that happen when we obey are good things that happen to other people. Sometimes those good things that happen when we obey, we don't see the fruits of those for many years. Sometimes the bad things that happen when we disobey happen to others. Sometimes the bad things that happen when we disobey, nobody notices, but still there is some sort of thing between us and God. And so we say, good things happen when you obey, bad things happen when you disobey. And we trust that the Lord is going to work that truth out and show us over time how it is that obedience brings blessing, disobedience brings difficulty. Well, this morning we want to focus on the fact that obedience brings blessing, and we want to examine the character of Mordecai in the story of Esther to see how that truth, that good things happen when we obey, works itself out in a particular situation. So I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Esther, chapter 3. Esther, chapter 3. You heard Esther, chapter 2, and Esther, chapter 3, read very beautifully by some students here in the church. I listened very carefully because I don't know how to pronounce half these names, and so I wanted to hear how you're supposed to pronounce them. They did a great job with some very difficult words, and that was an encouragement to my heart and to yours as well, I know. We heard the story in Esther 2 and 3. Let me recap the kind of the important points to get us to where we're going to be in Esther 3. The important points are Israel is living in captivity in Persia. They're in exile because bad things happen when you disobey. And so Israel had been disobedient for a long, long time. Again, when you disobey, bad things don't always happen immediately. But bad things happen when you disobey. And finally, God, who is slow to get angry, finally said, enough is enough. And he sent the children of Israel into exile in Babylon and then now in Persia. That's where they are. The king of Persia is a man named Xerxes. And Xerxes promotes someone named Haman to be prime minister, second in command, to the highest position in the empire beneath the king. As a result of this new promotion, King Xerxes orders that everyone honor Haman. They're supposed to kneel and acknowledge that he is in this position of importance and honor. Mordecai, who is a Jewish man who we're going to be talking about this morning, refuses to do that. He refuses to kneel, he refuses to honor Haman, and we find out that this goes on for some time, 
And the question that's being asked in verse three of our story, the royal officials at the king's gate ask Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? Remember, bad things happen when you disobey. And so the question is, why are you disobeying the king's command? Because what we find out in the story that you heard read this morning, because Mordecai refuses to honor Haman, Haman, in a fit of rage, decides not only to exact revenge on Mordecai himself, but to go after all his people to eradicate, annihilate all the Jewish people. And so we're sitting back here and we're saying, wait a second, this didn't, this really went badly. Bad things really are going to happen because of disobedience. And so the question we want to ask this morning, Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Now, when I first read this story or when I went back and started studying it again for this series, I thought I knew the answer. I thought the answer was, well, he doesn't want to kneel down because maybe that looks like he's worshiping Haman. Maybe it's a thing like idolatry, and maybe Mordecai is saying, hey, look, I'm not going to kneel down or bow down to anyone except the Lord. That's good, but I don't think that's actually what's going on here. Because when I reread it again and again more closely, I thought, now wait a second, no one else is being asked to worship Haman, and no one else thinks they're worshiping Haman. So this is not like the statue that Nebuchadnezzar set up years ago with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not this. And it is true that you can kneel and pay homage to someone without worshiping them at all, and many faithful Jews and Christians have been able to do that. So the reality of the matter is, is that Mordecai is not refusing to kneel down because he's trying not to commit idolatry. That's not it. So what is the reason? Why is he disobeying the king's command in such a way that it looks like huge, horrific consequences are going to happen to the Jewish people? Well, in order to figure out why he's not doing this, we really got to dig in and kind of figure out what's going on in this conflict between Mordecai and Haman. So let's think about the people who are involved here. We start first with Mordecai. There he is. Maybe the only brightly red-haired Jewish person that we know. But that's Mordecai. It's a photograph. You just got to believe it. Now, what do we know about Mordecai? Well, he's introduced to us in chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. So the first thing we know about him is he's Jewish, but he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Of the 12 tribes, that's the one he's from. He's a Benjamite. He's a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, named Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shammai, the son of Kish. So he is, we say son of Kish, he's the great-grandson of Kish, but in sort of Jewish culture, if you're descended from someone, we'd say son of. So he is from the tribe of Benjamin, the son of Kish. 
Now, for some of you and for who are sort of well-versed in the Scriptures, and maybe you've been reading through some Old Testament stories, or maybe you've been thinking about Old Testament stories, the minute you hear that this person is from the tribe of Benjamin and he's a son of Kish, another person's name might spring to mind. Because there's another very famous person who is of the tribe of Benjamin, and his name is King Saul. King Saul is the first king in Israel's history. He is the son of Kish. Now these are two different people, but it's very interesting that King Saul is also of the tribe of Benjamin and also the son of a man named Kish. And the idea here is as we're supposed to recognize that Mordecai is somehow connected to Saul. He may be his biological descendant. That's a very real possibility. He may also just be connected to him theologically, but it seems very clear that the author of Esther wants us to think about Mordecai in connection with King Saul. Mordecai is of the tribe of Benjamin, but they're both of the tribe of Benjamin, both sons of Kish. Okay, well, that's Mordecai. How about Haman? Okay, what do we know about Haman? He's much more dastardly looking there. <laughs> Haman, well, chapter 3, verse 1. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Now, we don't know who Hamadatha was, but we know about Haman that he is an Agagite, which means he is of the family of Agag. Now, if you really, really have been spending some time in the Old Testament and really have been reading through, especially 1 Samuel, you might recognize Agag and that name. Agag is the name of a king of the Amalekites. He's a king of the Amalekites, and Haman is his descendant, or he's connected to Agag. Now, who is King Agag of the Amalekites? Well, it turns out that King Agag and King Saul live at the same time. So this is about 500 years before Mordecai and Haman, but King Saul and King Agag are contemporaries. Not only do they live at the same time, they actually go to war with one another. And the reason they go to war with one another is that Agag is the king of the Amalekites. These are Canaanites who live in the land that Israel was supposed to displace when they moved into the promised land. And so God says to Saul, King Saul, king of the Jewish people, the sins of the Amalekites are so great and so horrendous that God commands Saul to annihilate the Amalekites. He gives them very specific orders, and he says he doesn't want any of them to live, especially not the king. Well, Saul has given these orders, and guess what? 
he chooses to disobey. Bad things happen when you disobey. Saul, God says to Saul, I do not want disobedience honored, and so you are the vessel through which I am going to enact my punishment. Saul chooses to disobey God, and instead of dishonoring Agag, he chooses to honor Agag by letting him live. God is furious with Saul, and as a result of that act of disobedience, 1 Samuel chapter 15, the kingship is removed from Saul and given to a man named David. Now, the problem is the Amalekites still hadn't been fully dealt with because of Saul's disobedience. So in a coincidence that only God can work out 500 years later, in the Persian Empire, God has arranged for a descendant of Saul, Mordecai, to end up in a confrontation with a descendant of Agag, Haman, and Mordecai realizes he must not honor those that God has said do not deserve honor. So here is Mordecai, all these years later, redoing what King Saul, his ancestor, did wrong and choosing not to honor this descendant of King Agag. Mordecai is disobeying Xerxes' orders, but he's obeying God's orders. He's not worried about worshiping Haman, he realizes God has cursed the Amalekites and that what King Saul should have done 500 years ago, Mordecai is now going to obey God and he refuses to honor the one that God says, do not honor them for their disobedience. Good things happen when you obey. The good thing that happens here is that God finally has the opportunity after 500 years, to confront the Amalekite problem and to finally finish it off. Haman is the last Amalekite that we know of in the scriptures. And Mordecai's obedience allows God to have this confrontation that Saul didn't give him the chance to have. Now, we keep reading in the story after verse three, verse five, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, when Haman realizes, wait a second, we've got something very historical going on here that's been going on a long time. When he realizes who his people were, he scorned the idea of killing Mordecai only. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. We have a replay of what was supposed to happen 500 years ago. This time the Amalekite descendant is saying, I'm gonna annihilate the people of God. And so while Mordecai's obedience brings about the good thing where God gets this confrontation, the problem is all the Jewish people are going to be annihilated. 
But as we go on in the story of Esther, we find out that God uses Mordecai's obedience not only to bring the confrontation, but to win the victory in the end. How so? Three quick ways that Mordecai is obedient in addition to refusing to honor Haman. Number one, he obeys God's command to love the orphan. Mordecai adopts Esther. This is not his daughter. He adopts her. It's one of the great adoption stories in the Bible. And Mordecai, having no idea that Esther someday is going to turn into the queen, chooses to take this little girl into his home and to care for her and raise her. He adopts her as his own. That's obedience to the Lord's command, and the Lord's going to use that in the story of Esther. Number two, when Mordecai overhears a plot to overthrow King Xerxes, he exposes that plot. Now again, you might think, well, that seems normal. But think about it. If you're a Jewish person living in captivity in Persia, and someone wants to assassinate the king of Persia, you probably are going to be for it. Who knows, in the resulting chaos, the Jewish people might be able to win their freedom. But that's not what God said to do in Jeremiah when he sent them into captivity. This is what he said to do. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So Mordecai, instead of joining a zealous rebellion, chooses to report the rebellion and save the life of Xerxes. God's going to use that to win freedom for the Jewish people. And then finally, when Mordecai realizes that Esther is in the position that she's in to serve God, he encourages her to obey the Lord and to trust God and to say, look, for such a time as this, you were put into this position. And God will use those three acts of obedience by Mordecai, adopting Esther, saving Xerxes, and encouraging Esther to trust the Lord. God will use those three acts of obedience to bring about finally the destruction of the Amalekites, rescue for the Jewish people, And oh, by the way, along the way, thousands and thousands of Persians are going to come to faith as a result. Good things happen when we obey. Well, that's good for God. Mordecai's obedience brought about good for God because he finally got to have this confrontation. Good for the Jewish people because they experienced the blessings of being saved and rescued from annihilation. What about for Mordecai? Well, turn over to chapter 10, the last verse of this story. Good things happen when we obey. There are twists and there are turns. There are ups and there are downs. It sometimes takes a while. But look at how the story of Esther ends. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes. He got promoted to Haman's old spot preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. 
Why does this book end with this verse? God wants us to know good things happen when we obey. Mordecai chose to obey God. He refused to honor those that God was not honoring. He adopted this girl in alliance with God's heart for the orphan. He rescued King Xerxes even though it didn't seem like it was in his best interest to do so. He encouraged Esther to obey and through all of that obedience, good things happen. Good things happen for God. Good things happen for the Jewish people. And good things happen for Mordecai. Good things happen when you obey. Bad things happen when you disobey. Now what's the importance of the story of Mordecai for us today? Two things. Number one, Mordecai is such an important character because his story reminds us of Jesus. All Old Testament stories in some way remind us of Jesus. Mordecai's does because if we go back to this chart that we have here and we think about the fact that Mordecai in his obedience is undoing what his ancestor Saul did in his disobedience, we can realize that if you back up from Mordecai to Saul, but go back even further from Saul all the way back into the dawn of human history, there was another confrontation between good and evil, and a man named Adam, who is the father of all humanity, found himself in a confrontation with Satan, who is the enemy of God and all of humanity. And in that confrontation, God gave to Adam a command to obey. Adam chose to disobey. And what happens when you disobey? Bad things happen when you disobey. Adam's disobedience introduced sin into the whole world. All the suffering, all the pain, all the death that we experience can be tied to Adam's act of disobedience. Well, fast forward from Adam to Saul, who, like Adam, disobeyed, down to Mordecai, who obeyed, which points us to Jesus, who is a physical descendant of Adam. And when he is tempted by Satan chooses to do the opposite of what Adam did and chooses to obey. More than that, he chooses to obey the Father and give his life on the cross so that good things would happen through his obedience, so that he might undo the death that his ancestor Adam had introduced into the human race. Just like Mordecai fixes what Saul did wrong, Jesus fixes what Adam did wrong. What happened to Mordecai? He was exalted to second in the kingdom. His greatness was known to all, and he was preeminent among his people. And what happens to Jesus because of his obedience? Because of his obedience, we are rescued from death. And Jesus has been given a seat at the right hand of the throne of God the Father and given a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for all of eternity. Mordecai reminds us of Jesus. 
Obedience brings blessing. Good things happen when we obey. And all the good things that are going on in our lives are all a result of the active obedience of Jesus our Lord. The second importance of Mordecai for us today is today we have the chance to dedicate a gathering place and a children's ministry, this wonderful building that God has allowed us to have. Now when you think about this dedication, we've done a dedication already for a prayer garden. And we dedicated that because that was allowing us to think about our time of praying to God. We've dedicated this sanctuary space. And when we dedicated this sanctuary space, we thought about our worship of God. This morning, the space that we're dedicating out front, it's about our obedience to God. The children's ministry space that we're dedicating, this is where we get to teach the story of Mordecai. And more importantly, where we get to teach the story of Jesus through the story of Mordecai. That children's ministry space is where the children get to teach us what it means to have faith. Jesus says, unless you learn from a little child how to have faith, you're not going to get this thing right. That children's ministry space is a place where we can volunteer and obey what Mordecai did in adopting Esther and obey what Jesus taught us to do when he said, don't forbid the children from coming to me. This is what the kingdom of, these are who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. Serve them, honor them, love them. And when we volunteer in the children's ministry space, we are obeying God's commands. In the gathering place, when we gather together to encourage one another, to fellowship with one another, to show hospitality uh, to the refugee, to the orphan, to the prisoner, to whomever God may bring into our path, we are obeying God's command. And the promise is, good things happen when you obey. And so as we dedicate this space to the Lord this morning, we're dedicating ourselves to be an obedient people. Grace beyond from beginning to end has been about obeying God. And my prayer is, is that that building, that gathering place, and that children's ministry space especially reminds us that when we obey, good things happen.